Hello, everyone, and welcome to the First Love Podcast. This is the final episode of Mark Fee's sermon series on prayer. We hope you have been enjoying this series. As mentioned before, prayer is a vital practice for Christians to maintain an ongoing and loving relationship with God. May the Lord guide your mind and heart as we listen to this final episode on prayer. Let's just pray for a moment and ask the Lord to bless our time. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for you. We love you so much. We're grateful for who you are in our lives. Lord, we're grateful for the future that awaits us. We're thankful that you are with us in the present. Lord, you hear, you answer. With you, all things are possible. We just pray for continued grace, though, when we don't get the answer we were looking for. Put faith in our hearts, I guess, to you, that we would believe prayer really does make a difference. So be glorified now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Warfare prayer, intercessory prayer. The word intercessory comes from 1 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul has this kind of urgent request. He says in 1 Timothy 2.1, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. And then he goes on to say for kings and those in authority and on and on. What real difference is there between requests, prayers, and intercession? No idea. It all kind of seems like pretty much the same deal. Requests, prayers, and intercession. But perhaps the idea of intercession is that it's this thing that's kind of ongoing. And you're interceding. You are pleading for, on behalf of. And this is really what we're about in these prayers. But notice that Paul's verb there is, I urge you, therefore. Not just, hey, if you think about it, if you got a minute, I urge you. In fact, he gets even stronger in Colossians 4, 2 and 3, where he says, devote yourselves to prayer and be watchful and thankful. Paul goes on to say, then pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains and pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul's crying out that they would pray for him. I would only imagine that those that are out there serving, I mean, what a difference it would make if you knew that somewhere sometime during the day, we were praying for every one of us that God would answer this prayer for you in your place of living, whether it's in school or work or neighborhood or home, just to know that somebody's praying, God, I ask you in the name of Jesus today, please, would you open the doors? Would you cause every one of my brothers and sisters today to speak your word fearlessly and boldly? Would you make a way for the message of the gospel today? And then in Ephesians 6.18, he says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, here he says it again, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that words would be given me. Now, the thing that's significant to me about Paul's request about prayer is that I don't think Paul would say, I urge you, devote yourselves, pray always for, if he didn't believe that prayer made a difference. In Colossians 1.11 and in Philippians 1.19, Colossians 1.11, he explicitly states that God will help us. God will rescue us because of your prayers. 
In Philippians 1.19, he says that we continue to rejoice knowing that through a fresh supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ and your prayers, what's happening to me will work out for Christ's glory. He believed that prayer made a difference. In James 5.16, James writes and says, For you know that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Prayer works. Prayer makes a difference. Prayer affects things as they're going on. In fact, there's this really kind of interesting passage in Daniel, where Daniel is praying in Daniel 10, 12. It says, then he continued, this is Gabriel who's talking to him, the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel says, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words or prayers were heard. And I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. And then Michael, another angel, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there by the king of Persia. The wild thing about this is that he's saying, the angel is saying, that something was going on. I heard you on day one. Sorry, it's day 21. It's as soon as I could get here. Because the war in the heavenlies was like crazy. We needed recruits, and Michael brought some others, and we pushed back. Because apparently the Persian kings had their demonic angelicos working for them and Israel had their angelicos. This is why I'm saying this is really warfare prayer. Remember in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul explicitly says these words. Ephesians 6.10, he says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Doesn't get much clearer than that. And again, the difficulty for us is that I think the enemy's greatest, greatest scheme in North America, in our culture, is to get us to think he doesn't exist. You guys, the enemy's greatest scheme, again, in doing this, probably the place that he has most influence is through the television. And I'm not saying that TV's wrong, but boy, do we need discernment about what we watch. Some of you know my story, but when I first got into ministry, I was barely into ministry when a friend's wife pursued me, and she was married, I wasn't, and we had an adulterous affair. I thought my life was over. I thought I was done, never would do ministry again. The thing, see, that I didn't understand, though, was that the enemy, from all the TV stuff that I had watched, I had watched countless times of affairs. And so when she came to my room, I was house-sitting at their house. They came home from vacation. And when she came to my room, it was just like what I'd seen thousands of times. And I just played the role. What was even more amazing was six months later, I had an old girlfriend call me, say, let's go out. I hadn't seen her for several years. We went out. We went back. What I thought was just going to be to an apartment. We come back to a house that she was house-sitting. There was candles, romantic music. We sat down on the couch. This was six months after, and I'm thinking, all that's going on in my mind is I know this scenario. I know what to do next. And by God's grace, he empowered me, and I literally, like Joseph, got up and ran out of there. But I ran out, I got in the car, and I just started to bawl my eyes out, going, God, I almost could have done this again. What is up with this? It's because it had been training me thousands of times. 
It's a real war out there, guys. And the enemy has got us wrapped around his little finger because we don't really take him serious. And we need to. We need to be praying for each other. You know, I got to tell you the one last piece of that story. Most people think that when we fail and screw up, it's at the lowest point of our lives. You need to understand that at that point in time, I had been an intern in that church for about six months, and then I'd been on staff in that church for about eight months. We prayed an hour before staff meeting. We prayed an hour before Sunday morning service, Wednesday night service, Sunday night service. We had the building open at six o'clock every day for an hour of prayer, and I was at every one of those things. I prayed like I had never prayed in my life. I was reading the scripture like I'd never read it in my life. I was at my highest point in God when that happened. And they go, how? Well, I just told you how. You know what one of the things was? What I told you last week was the pain. I had been rejected by several girls that I really loved, and I was hoping maybe something would go further. And so when that lady came to me, the first thing I said to my mind, well, at least she loves me. What a lie from the pit of hell. See, he knew how to play with my pain. He knew how to play with my brokenness. He knew how to play with where I was weak. And it didn't matter how strong I was in Christ because we have to take serious that we can be fully in Christ, but we still live in these fallen bodies in a very fallen world with a very evil enemy who would love to do nothing more than take you out. And he almost did me. It's just the kindness of the Lord. That after six months of going through healing and things like that, that they said, Mark, we think you should pray about coming back in. And so I'm very grateful to be here. I just want you to know that just because we're pastors, it doesn't mean that we're not vulnerable either. And I don't care how good your prayer life is. You got to fix your broken side too. That's what last week was about. And be alert, be watchful, he says, to the enemy's schemes and what we're doing. Well, so much for what I thought I was going to preach on. <laughs> so the Lord's Prayer. The thing I want to highlight then about the Lord's Prayer, and especially in light of seeing it as a warfare prayer, the Lord's Prayer occurs twice. Once in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, and it also appears in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 2 and following. Luke's Gospel is much shorter and doesn't have all the elements that we have in Matthew's. Now, sometimes people get uptight about that fact that things aren't exactly the same, but in God's infinite wisdom, the cool thing is that Luke was writing to one audience, Matthew was writing to a different audience, and oftentimes those subtle changes are because Luke's talking to Greeks, Matthew's talking to Jews. And so some of the things and the way they adjusted words was so that their audience would get it. The cool thing about these two prayers, though, is that in Luke's version, he says, when you pray, pray like this. He said to them, when you pray, say. It has the idea that we ought to just say those words. But in Matthew's version, he says, this then is how you should pray. And the idea being is that what you need to think of in your mind, it's not just repeating those words, which in some cases, depending on what tradition you grew up, you did it every week, maybe every day. It's not so much the repeating of those words that's significant as much as the pattern and those words. It's the pattern that those words are laying out for us. So in Matthew's gospel, the pattern is this. There are three requests that are directed to God about God, and then three requests that are about us. Those first three requests about God go like this. Our Father, you know that, 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed is still an old English word. It means your name, let it be holy. Let it be honored. Let it be set apart. Not that it needed to be in terms that it wasn't before, and now we're asking that it would be made that way. It's the fact that it always is, but we're praying, God, we pray that in the earth today, your name would be honored. And you know the place that we want it to be honored most is among us, because we bear that name. You know, one of the most damning things to our Christian faith is us (laughs) and our hypocrisy. You know, the word hypocrisy, the word hypocrite actually means actor. Isn't that what a hypocrite's doing? Is playing a part, playing a role? There's nothing worse because we say that in our faith, that our faith changes lives. Not that we are become perfect. It's an ongoing process. But oh, that we would be sincere and honest and genuine. Your name, let it be hallowed. Let it be honored. Your kingdom, let it come. The saddest part is that in several of the commentaries I read is that really... Ideally now, translators should really translate that word as kingship. Might be one way to help you understand. Because the idea, I like the way this one guy put it. He says this. He says, the Hebrew and Greek denotes the dynamic concept of God ruling. As declared by the Psalms, the Lord reigns. It represents, in other words, a sentence of which the subject is not kingdom, but God. In 3.2, Matthew 3.2, the declaration that the kingdom or kingship of heaven is nearer at hand or has arrived might be paraphrased as, listen, God's promised reign is beginning and is now taking control. Understand when it says good news, the kingdom of God, most of us, that goes right over our head. But imagine if John came in proclaiming God's promised reign is beginning and is now coming in control. You know how exciting that was after this present evil age being ruled by the enemy and now the king, Jesus, has arrived on the earth and said now the kingdom, the rule and reign of God is at hand, it is happening and it is advancing. That's good news. And that's what we're crying out for when we pray that prayer. Your reign and rule. Overcome the enemy's reign and rule in this present evil age, Lord. Let it come. Let it come now, let it come quickly in all of its fullness. See, the other interesting thing about the idea of God's reign is that in the coming of Jesus and the Spirit, it began, but it's not here in totality. And so we're always praying that prayer, God, break in though with more of the totality. Break in now today and let it come in fullness as soon as possible. (laughs) Let your reign and rule come in totality, Lord, please. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Kind of saying the same thing. The other three requests are in regards to us. And I like to think of these, that these are the ones that remind us of the two most basic dependencies we have. First is that we are dependent on the Lord for our physical being. We need His daily bread in every form that that comes. The second one, though, kind of gets to people. Because if you really think about what you're saying, the wording really does go, and Lord, forgive us as we have forgiven others. And it's, again, it's a cultural kind of thing that we don't quite get. But what you really do need to hear is that we are desperately in need for food, but we are desperately, desperately always in need of forgiveness in our relationships. Because we don't always do the will of the Lord, do we? And we hurt each other. The kingdom of God, the people of God, 
as much as anything else, is supposed to be known as a community of love. And most importantly, is that that love is expressed when unlove takes place, it becomes the community of forgiveness. It's the community of forgiveness. It's the community of love, and especially love born out when we are unloving to one another. It's the community of forgiveness. So he says, how can you ask me forgiveness when I have forgiven you so much beyond all comprehension? Remember the story later that comes in this gospel, Matthew 18, about the guy that was forgiven a debt that he couldn't have paid in a thousand lifetimes. And then he goes out and shakes somebody for some paltry sum. And the words are really hard there. Jesus said, like, that's totally uncool. And it's way worse than that. We're supposed to be known as the community of forgiveness. Lastly, he says, lead us not into temptation. This verse 2 kind of causes people a little consternation. What do you mean, lead us into temptation? Doesn't it say in James? And yes, it does. It says in James 1.13, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. And then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. The point being is God doesn't tempt us. But in this very same gospel in chapter 4, it says then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And then verse 2, he says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And then the tempter came to him and said. What this prayer is primarily asking for is not so much that God would lead. Some of the better English translations don't bring us into the testing because we recognize that we're weak, Lord. Remember, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, the thing is, is that we are in a time of testing all the time. We are in a setting where temptation is going on all the time. And in this prayer, it's just going, Lord, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Can we, like, minimize this? (laughs) And most importantly, deliver me from the evil one. There is real warfare going on, you guys. There's a real enemy. Our praying makes a difference. The thing about the Lord's Prayer that one of the guys pointed out, and it really shouldn't even be called the Lord's Prayer, it should be called the Disciples' Prayer that the Lord taught us. (laughs) Because it wasn't the prayer He prayed, it's the prayer we pray. But because, again, it's sort of like six categories that kind of provide a structure for you about things to pray, it doesn't cover everything. And you know, most importantly to me, or most interesting to me, is that it doesn't cover the issue of love. So God used Paul to make up for that because almost every one of Paul's prayers. (laughs) And I pray that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. I pray that you would know wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. And now about love, I don't need to teach you because God himself has taught you all about love. But I urge you to do so more and more. Paul is constantly praying about that, praying about the will of God. So I want to give you guys a couple of uh, passages where he's praying. And I would really urge you, tell you to devote yourself this week to look at these prayers and use them. Pray them from your heart. Philippians 1, 3 through 11. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. 3, 6 through 19. And also Colossians 1, 9 through 13. Look at those prayers and use them. Thank you for listening to the First Love Podcast. We would be so blessed to have you partner with us in this ministry. For more information or to subscribe to our weekly update, visit firstlovedministries.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. 
God bless and have a great day. Mm-hmm.